All right, everybody. Well, it's 7 o'clock. We want to go ahead and get started so we can make sure we honor your time. Awesome. Well, as everybody is settling in, let me open us up in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into week number four, three? All right, it's three. Okay. All right, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to come and to uh, just learn more. I pray that you would uh, challenge us as we uh, today talk about uh, reaching those who have uh, more of cultural Christian beliefs versus the Bible. I pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord, uh, to have a heart for those who don't know Christ, Lord. Uh, But maybe they think they do, Lord. I pray you would challenge our hearts, Lord, to reflect on your grace, your mercy, your love for us. God, we give you thanks and praise that on a Tuesday we can come and gather around the word of God and the truths of the scripture. God, we give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, we are in week three. I'm jumping us two ahead. So we're in week three. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about challenging cultural Christian beliefs. Again, we're walking through uh, Dean and Sarah's book, uh, The Unsaved Christian. It's a great read if you want to go get it. And so uh, Dean, actually, his church partners with our church. And so uh, Pastor Dean's a good friend of mine. And so I'll be sharing uh, a lot from his book, and I threw in some of my thoughts in there as well. Um, So one of the things that we've been talking about is reaching those and uh, reaching those who actually say they know Christ, but maybe don't have a real relationship with him. And so we're going to look at today, uh, what does it look like to reach someone that way, especially being in the Bible Belt? We talked about how many have a form of kind of godliness, but deny the power of God. And so we're going to first look at uh, looking at people's spiritual location and starting point. This is all about really being evangelistic. I mean, all of us should be and have a desire to reach people with the gospel, be evangelistic. And so really when you're thinking of a direction, many people have a vague kind of direction in their life. But the scripture gives us a clear, discreet, point-by-point direction of how to get to God. And it's clear that it's found in Jesus Christ. For many who are cultural Christians, we've been talking about that, uh, reaching them with the biblical gospel, you can start from a great place. And here's how you can start. Uh, Starting from uh, what do they really believe? Because somebody may say they believe uh, God is real. They may say they believe Jesus died for their sins, but what does that really mean to them? Uh, what do they really know about Jesus? It could be a Jesus that they've made up in their own imagination. It could be some a Jesus that they've kind of picked up on. Uh, what is their view of the cross in the Bible and all these things? Uh, the hallmark of cultural Christianity is typically they're very familiar with and even comfortable with biblical principles, right? They know the right things to say. Right? They know exactly what to say, when to say it, uh, and all these things uh, without a sense of a personal need for salvation. And this is the big key that we're talking about. Many hold to falsehoods of Christianity. Many of those falsehoods must be encountered with the gospel. So that means we're encountering people who maybe have a view of the scripture, have a view of Christ, but not the true biblical Jesus. Unlike, let's say, like an atheist or somebody from another religion, many who are culturally Christian have a mix of Christianity within their lives. So they may attend church on Christmas, Easter, special occasions, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And cultural Christians, like many Americans, believe they are inherently good people. That's where it always stems from. They believe that they're good people. And these type of people will um, sing songs like, you know, Jesus take the wheel on bad days. 
but they won't ask for sin, forgiveness of their sins, right? This is how you see when the rubber meets the road, right? It's the idea of I love the Bible and it's my favorite book, but I can't tell you anything about it. Why? Because it truly hadn't transformed them. It's a cultural nuance. It's an American thing. Christianity equals American. When you can have a group of people that will burn a cross and say they're Christian, this is how you know it's been a deficient gospel that has gone forth. This is a reality for us. In cultural Christianity, good people make occasional mistakes. But sinning is for the really bad people. The cultural Christian would be offended to be thought of as someone who needs the gospel, yet only believe they need God, right, when they need have surgery, have a job interview. You know, I would never be offended if I was out in public and somebody shared the gospel with me. I would actually be like, dude, that's so awesome. Like, you know, I've had that happen to me like probably one time in my life. And I just played along like I wasn't a Christian. I was like, and I got excited. It's like, man, you're telling me about Jesus? Because it doesn't happen often, right? This is how you know somebody may be culturally Christian. You start telling them about Jesus and they get offended. Oh, I'm saved. Oh, I know the Bible. Okay, well, why are you offended by somebody telling you about Jesus again? That should be good news over and over, right? This is exciting. Man, we want to hear about it over and over, especially somebody sharing Christ with you. Many cultural Christians believe Jesus died on the cross, but in a very generic sense, that it wasn't about the substitute for their sins, right? It was about something else. So for many cultural Christians, the difference between uh, you and them is that you have, you know, you're, you're a Christian. You're, you're, you're kind of really serious about your faith. You know, oh, it doesn't take all that, that kind of thing, right? And we're not talking about being legalistic. We're just talking about actually trying to strive for eternity, walking out your faith, trying to really follow Jesus. And this is what we're saying. So how do we do? How do we do this, right? And remember, we're talking more today about the evangelistic push for us, right? First, start with the God of the Bible. Start with the God of the Bible. Cultural Christians have to see themselves as lost, right, before they can actually see their need to be saved, So we must start with God and end with God. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, the most important thing about a person is what comes to their mind when they think about God. So every thought about God forms our thinking of our need for God. So God has not left us to wonder who he is or what he has said, how he's revealed himself to humanity through his written word. So it's in the scriptures where we find truth, life, how to live, all, all these things. The scriptures where, is where we start from. So there's many people who have great respect for the Bible, especially within our context, right? In the kind of pseudo-Bible belt, they have a great admiration for the Bible. It's, it's their favorite book, right? And people use it almost as a trinket. You ever walk into somebody's house and they have their Bible open to Psalm 23? Or like Psalm 91? As if like some magical incantation is going to happen. And it's going to protect them from all sorts of evil. That's not how the Bible works, right? No, that's not how the Scripture works. The, the Bible says this about itself in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, that's 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. Here's Paul's major point to Timothy. This is what he's saying there. 
He's saying to him, look, don't lose what God has given you. Remember how I lived out the gospel before you. Remember what God has given. Remember his word is alive. Notice Paul had to remind his young protege that the word is where life is. The word is what has power. But you know what most Christians end up doing, especially even when they're encountering those who are more culturally Christian, they refuse to use the Bible. It's like going into a fight with another person who has a sword, and instead of you using your sword, you're going to pull out a feather. No, we use the word of God. We don't sheath our sword. We use it. Now, we don't use it to wield it in a way where we're destroying people. Why? The word brings life. We use the word as the source of life that we give to people. It's found in the word of God. So he's telling Timothy this. And since the first century, Christians have been people of the book. This is the reality. There's never been a time in history where people, uh, Christians have said, you know what, we don't want the scripture. Only when heresy comes around. But no, the word of God is what Christians stand on. The scripture, the writings refer to the Old Testament by extension, everything else after. So the scripture is inspired. We're going to talk about that in a second. This was a bold claim from Paul when he wrote this to Timothy. He was saying, look, what he and other writers were given he was saying, essentially, this has come to us directly from the Lord. So Paul, the apostles, different ones, when they wrote Peter and they said, hey, this is what's come from the Lord, they were saying, hey, this is inspired. This is God's inspired word. What does that mean? It's breathed out by God. And this was the source of what was before them. The source was given from God. Well, here's the thing. How do we have this? It's inspired. So this is the doctrine that Satan will always try to attack. Is the word of God inspired? You see him attacking it in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, did God really say? Right? There's no new heresy under the sun. It's all old. Did God really say that Jesus is the only way? Did God really say that, you know, you have to repent and trust in Christ? No, the scripture is inspired. Why would God give us his word and say you can't trust it. No, he wants us to trust his word. The Holy Spirit of God used men of God to write the word of God. And biblical inspiration is the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, on the Bible writers, which guarantee that that which they wrote was accurate and trustworthy. When you look at manuscripts, right, and you see manuscripts that came from even the Dead Sea Scrolls, and then you go back and see even earlier manuscripts, they all are the same. They're all are the same. We see the reality that God protected his word. Although God used men, ultimately it was him as the author. Now this doesn't mean that men were robots in some kind of way. They were just being, you know, being used that way. No, God the Holy Spirit inspired them or spoke through them, wrote, wrote through them his words in the right way that they were supposed to come out. One of the ways to prove the Bible is inspired is to examine even the Old Testament, all the prophecies that were fulfilled we see all the New Testament being fulfilled in Christ. And so because the Bible is inspired, its words are unbreakable, eternal, trustworthy, and are able to pierce the hearts of men, according to Hebrews 4.12. Additionally, the inspired word of God will not go forth without accomplishing all the things that God has set for it to do. So we're saying that the whole scripture is inspired from Genesis to Revelation. That's why we don't need to add anything to the word of God. It is sufficient enough. We have God's word, and we have the revelation of that word as given unto men. So we start with the word. We point people back to the scripture. 
And this is our authority. This is the ground in which we stand on. This is why in a very, um, you know, the worldview we're in now, which is very secular, humanistic, all this kind of stuff, it attacks the word of God. But we're bringing people back to the word of God. I'm in a pastor's group, and one of the things that came up is a pastor was saying today how uh, some of the struggles for pastors is dealing with all the sorts of crazy teachings that people come up. Like, for example, uh, you know, and this is Christians, they'll say stuff like, Man, I'm so glad Granny so-and-so died. She finally got her wings. Where's that in the Bible? And are angels and humans, aren't they two different type of beings? So then where does this come from? The philosophies of men. The Bible doesn't come against philosophy. It comes against false philosophies, right? Because all truth is God's truth. So then if you have somebody that says something, then you have to question, is it true? then what's the authority we go back to? The scripture, not our own selves. This is the best way we can give an apologetic to those who are more culturally Christian. We can come and point them right back to the source of the word. And guess what? If they are not truly born again, then the reality of the scripture will open their hearts and their eyes. If they are born again, then guess what? They would have to say, will I take what I believe and put it under the authority of the scripture? Pride says this. I don't care what the Bible says. Only thing that matters is what apostle, bishop, so-and-so says. You might as well go live with Satan then. Because you're not in Jesus. If you reject the authority of the scripture, it shows where your heart really is. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commands. So what am I saying? That means if you were taught something wrong... And the scripture shows that you're wrong and the scriptures are right, then guess what you do? You take what you were given that's wrong and toss it out. And then you submit yourself to the authority of the scripture. Here's the reality. I don't like to be wrong, but I know the reality. I'm not always right. I know one thing that is always right is the word of God. The next thing we do. We show that the God of the Bible is holy. We show that the God of the Bible is holy. We see this in Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Bible presents God as holy from the very start. So a belief in God's holiness should lead to realization that God should be feared. But in cultural Christianity, how do we view God? Well, many people view God as the big man upstairs, Mother Nature, a distant force, all these different things. Unless we see our shortcomings in the light of the law of the holiness of God, we don't see them as sin as all. We sin, we just see them as, oh, I got a mess up. I made a mistake, these kind of things. Well, how does the scripture describe God? Isaiah 6.3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. So a high view of the holiness of God gives us a self-awareness about our standing before God. We see God as holy. We see this in Isaiah 6, 5. Woe is me, for I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. So we present the God of the scriptures. We present the God of the scriptures as holy. Now, understand what I'm saying. If someone has a view of God that they've made up in their own vain imaginations, you present a God of the scriptures and a God that's holy, it comes against what they believe who God is. Now you're putting them in line with now you can point them to is that God's holiness means sin is serious. 
God is holy and will not allow sin to go unpunished. In Romans 125, it says this, the reality of sin going on and on. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Romans 132, although they knew God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. So we're really showing people God is holy, but then what are we? Well, the reality is we are unrighteous, right? All have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. Everybody, right? This is affecting every person. You know what I'm doing here? I'm just going back to the basics of the gospel. You see that? It's, it's nothing. I'm not saying anything super deep, super inventive. I'm actually saying if we get back to the basics of pointing people to the God of the scriptures, we're loving people enough to give them the reality of the God of the universe. So we're seeing this is what we're doing. So for the cultural Christian, though, the reason they reject this is because their morality is determined by how others are perceived. So it's like, well, what's the next thing they say? All good people go to heaven. This is a dangerous teaching, and many people believe this. Even Christians believe this. How do we know this? It's because when every time somebody dies, I don't... So what happens? You're unsaved one minute. You die the next. And then everybody is saved. Many Christians are universalists by default. Sadly. Because they've been... They, here's the thing. Because we have been taught in our cultural context that to be scripturally and biblically sound is to be mean... Why would you ever say someone is not saved? That's not loving. But how is that not loving? The most loving thing you can do is point people to the real creator of the universe. If they don't know Christ, then you want them to know Christ. So they'll say good people go to heaven. This is the most common belief among cultural Christianity. When people are, when people are the standard of goodness, you can always find people a little worse than yourself. Oh, I'm not as bad as them. They were smoking weed. I just smoke cigarettes. It's like Whitney Houston, like, you know, crack is whack kind of thing. It's bad. It's sin. It's horrible. The reality is the idea of a living God means that, guess what? I am now subject to that living God. And my morality would never be enough in itself. I need a savior. And so how do we do this, right? Before we go to our groups really fast, we recognize reality that we have to point people to the God of the scripture, pointing them that the only hope they have is in a savior who came and showed grace and showed mercy and showed love and that all of us are broken, all of us have sinned. And this God who came, came to rescue us from our sin. You say, well, what if somebody is in a homosexual lifestyle? You know what? You don't even talk about their sexuality. You know why? They have disobeyed God because they haven't kept him first at all. They've lied, cheated, stolen, broken all of God's commandments. The sexuality thing, don't even talk about it because guess what? They've rejected Jesus. Sharing the gospel with cultural Christians starts with this. Starting in with the Bible. Ask frustrating questions, not to have gotcha questions. We can... Start with this. What is the standard for goodness? 
How good is good enough? How many more deeds do you have to do to outweigh your bad? This is not the point to mock or like say, oh, we got you. See, got you. No, our love for people is to point them to the Savior, not to win an argument. Here's the thing. You can have all this knowledge and win every argument and still not point people to Jesus. But you receive your reward. You want to know why? Because you were right. I could care less if I win an argument. I want to know, did you hear Jesus? Did you hear about the Messiah? There's a lot of stuff I know. And a lot of times I'm in conversation with people. I know a lot of stuff. But guess what? It's not every moment I got to correct them at every turn. We can work on that other stuff later. Let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about Christ. Let's talk about your salvation. Because if I don't see you again, guess what? I can tell you all this theology and tell you all the great stuff, which I want to tell you, right? But I want to make sure you get the theological truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Point him to the Ten Commandments. Point him to the law. The law shows the reality of where men, is, where men are and their need for God. And then point back to Jesus. Many cultural Christians believe Jesus out on the cross, right? They know that. They, they've heard it in Sunday school and all these kind of things. But what does that mean? Have you placed your full faith and trust in this Savior? And are you a disciple? If everyone is good, it's a good question. Then why did Jesus have to go to the cross anyway? It's a great question to ask. If everyone is so good and perfect, then why do we have to have a suffering Savior in the first place? I guarantee you most people have never had anyone ask them that question. The reality is many times we're afraid to tell people the truth or encounter them. And here's the thing. Remember, we're not, at a, not out looking for, okay, you're not saved, you're not saved. But no, if we're having conversations with people and they start presenting a different gospel, a different Christ, it is on us, it's imperative for us to point them to the living Savior. One of the big passions of mine, I love apologetics. Let me hurry up. I love apologetics. But here's the thing. Right now, like one of the fastest, I don't know if it's fastest, one of the, you know, faster growing cults, especially in the urban context, especially among African-American men, is the Hebrew Israelites. And they are a cult. You know, we don't use that word often, but hey, I say stuff other people don't say. So it's a cult. So it's an identity cult. And one of the things that is attracting so many people from the church, here's the thing. They give such false doctrine. It's just horrible. And I've dealt with a lot of that here. You've probably heard me talk about it. But the one thing they do, they're not afraid to pull any punches. They t- and they, and they, these men, they flock to it by the hundreds of thousands. But you know what we do in church? We're just going to show you some love. We're going to smile enough at you. We're just going to smile enough till you get the gospel. Smiling ain't going to get it. Kindness will. Kindness shows the love of Christ with the truth of Christ and the authority of, the Christ, of Christ and points them to the truth that will set them free. If you're down to be kind, you should go for it. Show kindness in the authority of Christ and point people to the Savior. Amen? All right. Gardner's going to come up and dismiss us. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. I want to reiterate what he said last week, um, just so everybody knows. One of the great things that we're able to do during Journey is have Journey kids. We're able to teach the scriptures on, on their level. And so in order to do that, we do need servants. And so we're asking each group, to adopt one week during it, each six-week journey, just one week to send two uh, of your members uh, to serve, and that's going to be whatever 
group number you are, that's your week. So if you're group two, you have some two servants during group two. Group four, uh, week four. Um, so that's something we're asking to do uh, just so that we can continue to have something awesome for the kids so they're able to learn the scriptures. I think everybody here has been to Journey before. If not, you can come see me at the table and we'll find out where you are. But your group numbers are listed and everybody's on the second floor. So you're dismissed. Thank you.